Hello. And welcome to yet another episode of Saturday the 14th. I am Maggie. And I am Maddie. And oh boy. We have a... (laughs) Oh boy. An episode in for you. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm going to hope if anybody watched this movie based off of our last episode that you Googled it first. And if you're not familiar, um, there's something I actually wanted to say before we got started, which is that this uh, movie is a rape revenge film. So big old content warning up at the yeah. top of this bad boy. And while we have no intention of actually like describing the assault itself or anything like that, um, when we talk about this movie... Especially, like, after when we're talking about, like, what influenced it as well as, like, what influence it had on movies, there will be mentions of uh, sexual assault itself. Yeah. And, on, I mean, the whole thing is about that. So if that's a touchy subject for you, like, just skip this one and don't watch this yeah. movie because it won't yeah it's a lot if you're okay with listening to just talking about like why this movie was made and like the impact that it had not just on horror but like movies as a whole and the idea of women standing up for themselves in movies um you should listen but if you don't feel comfortable that's totally fine we'll catch you next time yep um so with that said let's get into this we're talking about i spit on your grave the original 1978 version not the 2010 remake yeah it was originally titled day of the woman and i think for reasons that we'll discuss in a little bit i think that's a better title for it yeah i know that when it was like bought and like redistributed they changed the name and it's supposed to be like a riff on uh boris vine's revenge novel uh i shall spit on your grave was like jure crochet sur I don't know why you're looking at me. Like, I would know how to pronounce that. No, I was looking at it when I was reading it. Okay, you Uh, looked over me and I was like, girl, I do not know. Girey crochet sur voltons, I think is how you say it. Uh, That's my, I took a lot of French in high school, but haven't taken any since. Yeah, girl. Um, And that was a book that was published in 1946. And then there was a movie adaptation of it in the 50s. Do you know anything about that? Like, do you know if that's also about assault and revenge or if it's about something else? Yeah, I don't believe that it is. Apparently it has something to do with like, Nazis and interesting uh, but when I googled it I couldn't I didn't really learn that much more about it and I did not read it okay because uh, it's 190 pages I was not gonna go there <laughs> that's um, fine <laughs> no I've just uh read in the I have a book on rape revenge films uh, I think it's called like rape revenge films a critical study and it mentioned that fact which is how I learned it nice I'm going to be referencing that book a lot. Yes, that and um, Men, Women, and Chainsaws. There's a couple of articles. There's like an interview with Bloody Disgusting that um, Meyer Zarchi, who's the uh, writer and director, did. Um, but honestly, yeah, the the book that you read on it and then Men, Women, and Chainsaws are like big, big sources for this episode, which honestly, if you're at all interested in like the history and like the, you know, like theory behind horror films you should absolutely check out carol j clover's men women and chainsaws it's huge i kind of bought it on a whim i didn't really know that much about it and like every slasher that we have covered it has had great insight on so you should buy it read it it's fantastic it's like a pretty well-established uh text and then if you're like really interested in this specific genre of movie, the rape revenge film, um, the one that I'm going to be referencing a lot today is Rape Revenge Films, a critical study by Alexandra Heller Nicholas. And she actually references men, women, chainsaws a bunch. Yes. So I'm like, hey, I know some of the things that this woman has to say, but not all of the things. So yeah, we'll get to learn about it all together. We will. Um, so as I mentioned, this was written and directed by Myers Archie, and it stars Camille Keaton, who is actually Buster Keaton's grandniece. Oh, did not know that. And was actually uh, married to Zarchi. Like, they met 
or became engaged during the making of this movie. And okay, they were... she was like one of like a thousand people who auditioned for this role. Yeah, like, she's great. It was insane the amount. I th- she was, it might have been 400. I don't know. There were hundreds of women who auditioned for this role and she was the one who got it. Yeah, she's very good in this. Um, and then a bunch of men. Yeah, Aaron Tabor, Richard Pace, and Anthony Nichols. There's only like one other woman in this entire movie. Yeah, the wife, I guess. The wife the, of um, one of the... Johnny's wife. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but this was made for about uh, $1.5 million. It shows. Yeah, it does, it's not great. No, uh, it feels very low budget. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how much money it made, but I did read that he said like he barely covered the cost of marketing. And I don't yeah. know if that's like the cost of filmmaking plus marketing or if it was just marketing. But I mean, this film had some adventures. Like he had to self-distribute it because no one wanted to do that. We'll get into this more later. Yeah, but, uh, this is very controversial. I feel like at this point, its controversy has probably paid back for him probably it's become um, like a cult classic and also there's the remakes and the sequels so like there, there's that stuff as which well which is like who would make I understand the idea of making a remake kind of not mm-hmm. really but kind of then making sequels just seems like obnoxious well the weird thing is that he made a sequel in 2019 to the original version oh I didn't know starring that. Camille Keaton Wait, really? Yeah. Oh, shit. I was thinking about the... Because I was like... There are also sequels to the remake. There are sequels to the remake, which I heard are just like horrible and so bad. And like even more like derogatory towards women than like the first remake was. And then... I I think that the sequels get into her being kind of like broken down by what happened to her versus this is her kind of taking the power back. Uh, from what I understand, the sequels of the remake were just the same thing happening to different women, but worse. Oh, great. Well, that's... That's what one of the Reddit threads I was reading, because I Googled it. I was like, how does Reddit feel about this movie? <laughs> the answer is mixed. Yeah. Most people said, like, I'm happy I watched it. I never want to see it again. Yeah, I don't ever want to see this again. And just for context, like, there are, like we talked about, there's some pretty graphic rape scenes in this. Maddie watched all of them. I didn't. I was I also like taking notes on my phone for parts of it, and but like I did watch the entire thing. I was gonna sit down and watch the full thing all the way through, and I kind of ended up sort of scrubbing through the actual rape scenes because they're. It's like a 30 minute long chunk of the movie that's just her getting raped over and over again, yeah. which is. I, oof, it's a lot. It is. And I think part of it was like I had read. I think I honestly expected it to be a lot worse and a lot more graphic. I think I expected like what would this movie look like in 2019 or 2020 if they were showing a 30 minute really graphic thing. I mean, it's not like. And I think that's what I was expecting. So when I like saw it, I was like, oh, this isn't as bad as my imagination was about it. Sure. And then also like one of the scenes was just the acting was so bad in it that like it's hard to take it seriously, even though it's like a really serious, horrible thing happening. Like just one of the actors was so bad Mm, that that like he just was, I don't know how to describe it. Well, let's get into the the worst. Um, But yeah, so uh, this movie starts off with Jennifer Hill or Jenny. Yeah. And uh, she's stopping for gas on the way to a house that she's rented for the summer. Right. We see her leave Manhattan, um, which is actually weird. This is the first time that this has ever happened to me. With something said in New York, because I am not in New York frequently, but occasionally. Mm-hmm. Um, the place that she gets into the cab at the beginning is literally right down the street from where I stayed the last time I was in oh, New York. So, cool. so I was like, wait, I know where that is, which is weird, because that happens to me all the time for movies that are set in Los Angeles. But like, it doesn't happen to me in other cities. So that kind of threw me for a loop. to notice anything. Yeah, it was weird. It was very strange. So once she leaves Manhattan, she is on her way to a cottage by the House of Tonic River in, I guess, Kent, Connecticut. Although cool. they never really specify. They don't. I don't know. Article. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, she wants to go write her very first novel. Yeah. She's a short story author, but hasn't written a novel before. Right. So she stops for gas on the way at this like little gas station. She buys a full tank of gas for $5.20. $5. $5. $5. $5. $5. $5. $5. $5. $5. 
Oh, the 70s. What a different time. I do still love 70s fashion, though. It's so good. Yes. Like, everything she wears is amazing. Oh, 100%. Also, like, some of the men are wearing bell bottoms, and, like, I kind of love the look of, like, bell bottoms. Yeah, I wish they weren't all bad people in this movie. I know. It's not so much that I like how any of them look. It's that I just feel like bell bottoms as a fashion statement is, like, a good fashion statement for men. That's true. Um, this part is where I first really sunk in for me that this was a movie about a woman's experience written by a man because she just like tells these men she does not know that she is staying by herself at a house on the lake. Yeah, you don't do that. And I don't mean this in a victim blaming way. I just mean that there is no woman that I know who would ever do that shit. It she just doesn't super seem super specific. She was just like, oh yeah, I'm staying by this river like for the summer. She doesn't say like, here's my address. I guess. But I think it's probably a small enough town that like right. you could figure it out. Yeah. That's kind of where I was coming from. I was like, it just doesn't. It's more that when like uh matthew delivers the groceries yeah so i mean the guys at the gas station the johnny who's like the manager and then these two random dudes stanley and andy who are just like around. playing a game in the grass yeah they're like into her and checking her out and then I mean, she's hot she is she's, she's very pretty um and then when she gets to the house she has groceries delivered by this guy named matthew and that's when she goes like oh yeah i'm here all alone all summer just me and the characters in my head which I mean, I don't know if I'm paranoid or if things have really changed since the 70s in the way that, like, women interact and, like, talk about that kind I of stuff. I would have been, like, all of the above. I would have been, like, my boyfriend is coming up tonight and he's bringing our seven dogs with him. Like, there's <laughs> no fucking way. I just, I just, again, I'm not trying to say, like, oh, you know, she shouldn't have done that. I just don't think if this was a movie written by a woman that they would have had her do that because it doesn't yeah. seem like something that any woman that I know would do. Oh, 100%. And, uh... I, I know that there have been times that I've been, like, very oblivious and have accidentally said things I probably shouldn't say. I remember like one that. time when we first moved to Boston, when we were first in college oh, together. No, what did I do? Oh, Limeade? No, you stopped on the street because a guy asked you if he could use your phone oh, in yeah. that way that people do when they're trying to steal your phone. And you pulled your phone out of your purse and you said... Oh my god, so actually, like, my screen is cracked. Like, look, you can't even... And you were, like, explaining your phone situation to this man, and I was like, Maddie, it's time to go. Maddie, it's time to go. <laughs> there was also that time we met random people on the T in, in Boston, and I was like, oh, we're going to get limeade. Just come by our suite later. <laughs> oh like, my god. Like, you can all limeade. <laughs> Oh, because God. they also went to Emerson. Yeah. And uh, I think they did. And they wrote something on our door or something like that. But you were like afraid to answer the door. I think you've always been paranoid. I'm, I'm always very, been very paranoid. And you are very trusting. And I think we balance each other out. We do. And I think that you've <laughs> probably become more trusting. And I've probably become more paranoid. I'm still pretty paranoid. Honestly, I think we've watched enough home invasion movies now because of this podcast that I've become more paranoid. So Good. Thank you you Saturday should be paranoid. You live in a city. You should be paranoid. You're right. You're right. Anyway, uh, But anyway, she is not paranoid. She tells this man who comes into her home that she's alone for the summer. And she also tells him that she has a lot of boyfriends and asks if he wants to be her friend. Wait, doesn't he ask if she'll be his friend or something like that? Yeah, maybe that's what happens. He is clearly meant to be, like, mentally handicapped. Yes. Um... So maybe that's part of it, is that she doesn't feel like he is... A threat. A threat in the same way. That, it is weird when he's like, oh, do you have a boyfriend? She's like, I have lots of boyfriends. And like, Which, like, more power to you, girl. But, like, I don't know. It just feels like a weird thing to say to a guy when you are spending a summer there alone. Yeah, I it's don't know. Like, uh, yeah. The re- that part of the way that she talks at the beginning did not really ring true to me. Yeah, I know. I think that's true. Um it just feel weird. And it seemed like they were trying to reinforce the idea that she was, like, sexually active in New York and, like, fulfilled all the stereotypes that they were talking about her. I guess, yeah. That she was, like, 
because after this, like, Matthew goes to the guys at the gas station. He's talking about how, like, he delivered groceries to her and he like saw her breasts because like she was wearing a semi-see-through shirt without a bra yeah and they're like oh like all women from new york are loaded because she talks about how he gave her a a one dollar tip but it's 1978 yeah (laughs) she gave him like a full dollar as a tip yeah and she they're like oh yeah like broads from new york they're always like sleeping around they're always loaded and like yeah so they like they're oh god they are such shitty men in this scene they're like fishing by the river and they're just like talking about how they're gonna go to new york and fuck all the women in new york and go to california like i'm gonna do the same in california because sunset strip is just full of women who are just dying to get some or whatever like yeah they're just really grossest grossest men um and they start like kind of cruising around yeah they have like a power boat and she's right on the water well, first they, like, start, like, stalking her house at night. That's true. So, like, there is a scene where, like, she keeps hearing, like, howling, like, yipping noises kind of outside. And she actually goes outside to look for it, which is, like... Another thing I don't a think thing any I woman would, would never do. Not do. without that gun that she has. Because so when she first moves in, she finds the gun. She doesn't bring the gun with her when she goes To be fair, actually, there have been times where I've heard something in my apartment at night. And I, like, get up and go look into it. I should just learn from these movies. What the fuck am I doing? I feel like going... In your apartment is one thing. If there's something in your apartment, you need to know about it. If there is something outside of your house, you need to lock the fucking door, get the gun out of your. um, Well, nothing happens to her. I totally expected something to happen, and nothing happened. I did too. Yeah. Um, But the next day, she is just like lounging in a bikini on her little like canoe kayak, whatever it is. Yeah, just having a nice time, and that's the thing that they really drive home in this movie. She doesn't give a. She does not care about these men. No. She's not paying them any attention. She doesn't want their attention. I actually feel like it's purposely trying to point out how, like, ridiculous the claims of, like, oh, she was asking for it are. Yeah. She she just wants to write her novel and be left alone. Yeah. I I feel like it was them saying these things and later on they justify, like, oh, you wanted it and all that. Like, and I think that the director probably was, and writer was probably saying, like, isn't it fucking ridiculous that you could ever think that a woman is asking for this? Like, exactly. W- watch what you think she's asking for. Right. Which we will get into now. Um, so this is where it gets unpleasant and we'll skip. We're some not going to go into any details. But basically, um, the men attach a, like a, a rope, rope to, to her, her boat, boat and they tow off her boat using their motorboat and they get her out of the boat and take off her clothes and one by one in various ways. Yeah. End up raping her. Yeah. Basically, there's one attack right after she gets out of the boat. She gets lost in the woods and she's trying to escape. They find her again. There's another one. And every time they're trying to encourage Matthew to be a participant. Because this is all supposed to be for him. Yeah. The idea is that he's like a virgin and they wanted to like help him lose his virginity. And he says like no for the most part. And then later on like. Right. They finally. She gets back to her house. And they're waiting for her there, and they attack her again, and then he attacks her. Sorry, Nikolai also apparently has a lot of opinions on this, he so if you can also, hear him. He's, like, behind all of your spices. I don't know what that boy is doing right now. Um, yeah, so she gets back to the house. She tries to make a call to the police, but they're already there. And this time, Matthew does get involved. Yeah, he drinks some alcohol, and he's, like, brave all of a sudden. Yeah, and... Um, finally they leave she passes out another and one leave. of them also tries to, yes uh, get her to go down i don't know what yeah, the right wording is I, for yeah. it. like he tries to force her to have oral sex with them yeah and she just like is she's so unconscious i mean she's unconscious she's unconscious it's, yeah. yeah it's very and uh he says the word suck it bitch which comes up later which is yes. the only reason why i bring it up right 
Um, so she passes out and they leave. And then Johnny, who's kind of like the ringleader, realizes that now that they have like committed all these horrible, heinous crimes against her, she could probably report them to the police. And so, yeah, he tells Matthew that Matthew needs to go in and kill her. Which is stupid on his part. Good yeah. for her that he chose, because Matthew has been hesitant to do this the entire time. And, like, Johnny, he's been, and Johnny also says something here, which I feel like is just so glossed over, which he's like, don't worry, I've done this a couple times before. Yeah. And he's like, he's basically like, yeah, I've killed people before. It's not that hard. Just stab him right here. And like, okay, if you're so good at it, why don't you just fucking go do it yourself? Right. But they make Matthew do it. So Matthew goes inside and he can't do it. The thing is, like, he actually has like a real crush on her. He does. And he is, one of the interesting things about this movie is the way that, which again, we'll talk about later, is the way that it's sort of addresses like mob mentality with men um and specifically that matthew would not have done this if there were not the other oh there's no way he would not have done this shit and so he can't do it like he can't bring himself to do it um and so which again is not it's not a excuse for what because he does eventually get involved and he never leaves and he never gets anyone to get help he doesn't do any of that stuff um and but he uh instead of killing her he just dips the knife in like blood that was like coming from her mouth mm -hmm. and like leaves yeah um and then we see like a montage of her like kind of putting herself back together a little bit yeah and like she literally tapes her manuscript of her story back together because they ripped it up they like read it and made fun of it and ripped it up in front of her um and the guys are kind of freaking out because no one has heard anything, like, there's been no police activity. Yeah, apparently it had been, like, a 90-degree week, and no one had, like, smelled anything. And they are like, okay, like, she'd be decomposing. What the fuck? And Matthew's like, I totally did it. So she must have, like, gone down to the basement or something like that where they can't smell her or whatever. And eventually he kind of, he, like, admits He accidentally that, says something and, yeah. like, semi-confesses. And they, like, beat him up and, like, kick him out. Yeah. Of, like, the friend group, I guess, because they were all hanging out at the gas station. Yeah. And Jennifer, at this point, decides that she's going to take this shit into her own Yeah, and there's a scene where she's wearing, like, all black, and she, uh, like, wraps her hair up. She's, like, the longest hair. It goes down, like, to her butt. Yeah, it's really long. Um, And she, but she wraps up all of her hair, and she wears all black, and is very covered up, and she goes to church. And she, like, prays for forgiveness for the decision that she's made. Yeah. And then she basically tails all of the guys, and she sees that Johnny has a wife and kids, which is also fucked up. Yep. And she, like, sees Matthew delivering groceries, and so she calls in a grocery order up to her place. And he gets the... He gets the call, and he, like, knows exactly what it is, Mm -hmm. and is, like, freaking out, but the shop owner is like, oh, you gotta go do this. And so he does. But he brings a knife with him, because he's gonna finish the job this time. Um... And this is another part where it's very, like, this was written by a man and not a woman who's been through trauma. Because Jennifer basically, like, seduces him yeah. when he gets there. And she's, like, she, like, convinces him that she, like, that they're still friends. And she, like, forgives him or whatever. And she's also, interestingly, like, in juxtaposition to the church scene where she's wearing, like, all black. And that's what she's wearing when she's telling them. She's wearing an all-white, like, dressing robe. Yeah. It's very, like, innocent, sort of southern gothic... I guess New England gothic. While they are having sex out by the river, she like wraps a noose around his head and like starts hanging him. Yeah, so she hangs him from the um, from a tree and then cuts him down and like drops him into the water. So after that, she goes to the gas station. Uh, probably a different day, I'm guessing. I think like yeah, I think it's the next. No, because it's been a couple of weeks. 
Oh, you're right. Yeah, yeah. No, and also she had a bruise on her face when she seduced Matthew. And yeah. when she goes to the gas station, she doesn't have any bruises on her face anymore. Yeah, it's been a little while. I don't know if it's been weeks or days or what, but it's Either been way, a while. it's been a little while. And she goes to the gas station and starts talking to, like, Johnny. Yeah. And she's, like, all done up. And it's like, hey, get in the car. And he's like, oh, I knew you wanted it. Mm-hmm. And so they go to her house. Well, first she drives him out to the middle of nowhere points a gun at him. Oh, I thought they were like near the house when she did oh, that because the house is she, kind of in the middle that's of nowhere. True, yeah. But she points a gun at him and she's like take off your clothes. And he's like, "Well, I would just take off my clothes for you anyway. You don't have to do all this." And she's like, "Take off your fucking clothes." And then he goes on this like unhinged diatribe about how everything that they did to her was her fault cuz like Cause oh, she wore you the coaxed short us into it. And she was like showing off her legs around them. Yeah, and like, "Oh, you're out there in your bikini and like showing Matthew your boobs and stuff like that." Like really And she was literally her. just like hanging out around the house, stopped for gas while wearing shorts and yeah. like was wearing a bikini when she thought she was by herself. Right. And so she at this point is like, "Oh, okay. You know what? Why don't you just come back to my house then?" Yeah, she's like, oh, I guess you're right. Let's, like, go fuck, pretty much, is what she says. And she's yeah. like, I'll give you a hot bath. So in the bath, she is, like, bathing him, and they're talking, and he mentions how, like, Matthew's missing. She's like, oh, he's just chilling out. And she's, like, she's like giving him a hand job at this yeah, point. Yeah, she starts giving him a hand job, and he mentions, like, oh, Matthew's missing. And she's like, oh, well, I killed him. And he's like, you have a weird sense of humor. And she's like, I'm not actually joking. Like, I, I did him. this. And she's like, you're, he's like, your sense of humor is so weird. And then she grabs a knife, the knife that Matthew brought. Mm-hmm. And uh, she had, like, hit it underneath, like, the bath mat. Yeah. And she uses it to chop his dick off. Yep. And then she goes downstairs, and she sits down, and she listens to opera music while he screams upstairs about how he's bleeding to death and which then, actually apparently isn't a thing i googled it because i was curious about like if your huh. dick gets cut off can you bleed from death apparently the answer is no hmm. because even if like you, your arm gets chopped off you're not going to bleed to death and especially because in the penis the arteries are so good at like constricting and like getting like bigger and smaller because like blood goes in and blood goes out so much do you think a hot bath would have any effect on it that? probably would but they still wouldn't die from that they'd die from like the shock of it kind of like going to shock and all that stuff would be worse than the actual blood loss interesting is what my cursory google <laughs> told me i don't know for sure uh <laughs> don't try it at home and find out well anyway it works for him and she throws his body down in the basement and burns all of his clothes yeah and then stanley and andy who are the other two dipshits uh realize that johnny is missing and they're like okay this has got to be her at this point like she's got to yeah. be yeah so they go out in their boat to jennifer's cabin and Andy tries to, like, hide with an axe so that, like, if something happens with Stanley, he can, like, come in and defend him. And Jennifer swims out onto their boat, hops on, sort of pushes Stanley off into the water and, like, takes over the boat and is driving it around. Um, and he's freaking out. Like, he's not having a good time. She's just going in circles around him. Yeah. And Andy tries to, like, come out with the axe, but she just sort of, like, clips him with the boat and the axe falls into the boat and she grabs the axe. And then... Um, she ends up, as he, like, tries to go out and, like, save Stanley, she just, like, axes him in the back, and he dies. And so then uh, Stanley tries to, like, get on the boat, and he climbs up the back, like, the motor, in order to actually get up. And she, he's like, please don't kill me. And uh, she says exactly what he said to her, which was, suck it, bitch. And she starts up the motor, which rips him open, and he dies. And she leaves. Yep. And that's the end of the movie. It is. Uh, not a long, I mean, it's a long movie, but, you not know. Not very aside, much happens. Right. There's a lot of shots of her just, like, looking pensive, like, before the assault, after the assault. Like, just lots of, like, her looking, like, thoughtful. Yes. 
And this movie is controversial as Yeah, it was banned in a ton fuck. of countries. It was, uh, what were the movies in Britain called? Oh, the Video Nasties? Video Nasties, it was a Video yeah. Nasty. So before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about the conception of this film and where it came from. Yeah, it's really interesting. It is. And I think that especially in light of the way that it was viewed in terms of being like very misogynistic and whatnot, it's interesting to know that Meyer Zarki, his inspiration for this was that According to him, he was inspired to make it after he helped a rape victim report her story to the police. So he says that he found this woman who was bloody and in, in, in terrible shape um, in a park after she had been assaulted and took her to the police. And the police basically like brushed off her story. Even like um, one of the accounts that I read was that like she had a broken job, but that the police kept making oh, her wow. like spell her name and stuff like that. And so he decided to make the story about getting real justice on rapists instead of having to go through this police system that doesn't do anything for the women who are victimized. Um, which then when you look at it in that light and you're, you kind of view it as him trying to tell this story about what the horrible things that actually happen to women, the inclusion of these really brutal rape scenes makes more sense. It does. I mean, we'll get into this a little bit further yeah. on, but he, I think that we all kind of know what rape is and know that it's like a horrible thing, but being forced to watch it and like be a participant in what's happening to her, like it changes your perspective on it. Yeah. And, and like people can say like, oh, she was asking for it. But like when you actually see it happen, like it's, you can't no one's ever that. asking for you that. You cannot justify that. And the way that he phrased it, there's an interview with Chris Egertson for Bloody Disgusting, which is really interesting because it sort of ends up being like Zarki also grilling Eggertston on like well how do you feel about it like do you feel like it's misogynistic because he comes into it being like well a lot of people have called this movie misogynistic or sexist and he's like but is that how you feel because I'm not going to defend it if people feel a certain way about it but like when you watch it do you feel that way about it it's a very interesting interview yeah I should read that and one of the things that he says is I've seen it so I know the horrors of a girl who's been raped I've seen it I've witnessed it so what I saw is what you see in the movie and I hope I put it in such a way that you will see what this girl that I saved went through and the fact is that whether you deny it or not you're sitting here with me because you want to know more about this because it affected you yeah which is interesting it is and like there are things about the way that he describes the situation with the girl that rubbed me the wrong way a little bit like he keeps bringing up in a lot of interviews about how like her father offered to pay him a reward and he declined and like he calls her the girl i saved a lot he honestly sounds like like, he has a little bit of like a god complex like he thinks he's like hot shit which like which i mean but then he did really assuming the story is true he did really help this woman and when he tells the story in a movie she is the one who does the saving she there isn't a man no that's true no i think is or that I think that he just is like very proud of himself and he's like, look how good I am. Like, which sure. doesn't mean that he's not good. Right. It just means that like he wants everyone to know how good he is. Right. And I can totally see people reading that stuff and sort of being rubbed the wrong way, which I also get. And I think that at times I can be a little bit cynical about the intentions of particularly male artists who are making content about the trauma of women. Yeah. And especially because he went on to say like, look how good I am because I'm doing this and no one else is doing this. And I influenced all these other movies like Thelma and Louise and the girl with the dragon tattoo, because I'm the only one to have told this story. Right. But also, I mean, that is an attitude that sort of like, look at how much I've done for film. That's an attitude that comes up with so many directors that like sort of holding that against him specifically. No. And I still think he did a lot of good things Yeah, and you can do a lot of good things. Like I think, that him helping that woman's amazing Mm -hmm. i think that this movie did make a really big impact but then going off and saying like look at the impact i had on this woman look at the impact i had in the film industry that's when it starts to get a little cocky and you can i don't think that 
you are bad because you are cocky. He just is, has done good things and is also like a little cocky. Right. And I think that that some of that attitude probably is also part of the reason why it got some of the blowback that it did. And I think a lot of the women, you know, you got a lot of criticism from feminist writers, particularly at the time, who probably saw something similar in that and probably have a similar cynicism of being like, okay, are you really telling the story because you want to help, you know, women or you want to tell this woman's story? Or are you trying to make money off of her? Exactly. Ill fortune. Which is not really necessarily fair to accuse him of doing no. and again i don't want i don't want it to sound like we think that this I don't guy think that is that shady is i that don't know i don't have any reason but to after believe that just that's like the case. reading the interviews like i can understand why people might have thought that right and it's a difficult subject to approach and approaching it well is really hard and i think that he made a lot of decisions and i understand why he made those decisions as much as i can as a as not being him you know right um i think that some of them were good i mean we'll get into more about like yeah. The impact of his work as well. Absolutely. So, I mean, in addition to his own personal experiences influencing, I mean, there was a lot going on at the time in the 60s and 70s that definitely influenced this as well. Um, I mean, the whole women's liberation movement of the 60s and 70s and like the uprising of feminism, I think was really big on this. Yeah. How exactly do you see that having played yeah. into this film? So, uh, this, I'm. Um, taking a lot from the book that I read, uh, I mentioned earlier, um, the uh, Rape Revenge films, A Critical Study. Uh, the one who wrote this talks a lot about how in the 70s there was an easing of censorship restrictions for the first time, and there's a mainstreaming of uh, public discussion about sexual politics because of how big the anti-rape movement was, and it was a big part of the second wave of feminism in the 1960s. And so... That makes sense, that you could show more on screen than you had previously been able to. You could show more to. on screen, people were actually talking about like rape as an issue, and so there were a couple of feminist writers who went on to talk about how pornography and they were like part of a big anti-pornography movement of mm-hmm. the time and they thought that pornography showed a fantasy and that oftentimes that fantasy led to men trying to act out that fantasy mm. and that resulted in rape okay so that's like your andrea dorkins yeah and yeah. Catherine mckinnon mm-hmm. and um Susan Brown Miller, who was also like a big feminist writer of like the 60s and 70s, um, wrote in her book Against Our Will, Men, Women, and Rape, that rape actually only originally became illegal because it was seen as a property crime that one man committed against another. And apparently oh, what I was talking to Jesus. a friend of mine uh, earlier today, and I was explaining this concept to her. And she was like, yeah, like if you read Hammurabi's code, it talks about one man stealing from another. And the issues with that are one, it doesn't like acknowledge the fact that it is a crime against a woman and takes away her humanity but it also doesn't address the idea of like what happens when it's done to a man and Mm. so the idea is that like it needs to be redefined and like thought about differently for the benefit of both men and women that makes a lot of sense and so um because all this was going on there was like the rise in conversations about rape for like the first time in a public setting and censorship had been reduced like this started like popping up as like almost like a mini genre Mm -hmm. and the first big one was the virgin spring which was a Swedish film about like a father who takes revenge when his like daughter is raped. Mm, um, okay. I think murdered, but I'm not 100% sure on that. And The Last House on the Left was like super inspired by that and uh, yeah, is thought to be like the American version of A Virgin yeah, Spring. Yeah, no, that definitely Which I up. have not seen. I don't really want to see it, honestly, especially after like watching this. I'm like, I I'm good for a while. I definitely need a bit between this and any other rape revenge movie. Or just I, like, I know at some point I need to see Last House on the Left because it is like another like major it iconic is, film. But like anymore. reading the synopsis just made me so not want to watch it. Like it yeah. sounds worse than this. Oh god. Not only that, but like in Last House on the Left, like the woman is killed and her family notices that like 
this guy who's staying with them is wearing her necklace. And they're like, okay, cool. So we're going to kill him. Yeah. One of, I mean, this is really one of the most, like one of the earlier movies where the woman is in control of the revenge. Yeah. According to the director, like this is the first one. Like, yeah. That's according to him. I don't know for sure, but he has stated like, I'm the first person to make a movie that where like the woman takes revenge herself. And that's mm-hmm. why he thinks that he inspires like movies like Thelma and Louise and the girl with the dragon tattoo. Okay. Yeah. I can see that. While a uh, Virgin Spring was actually won the Academy Award for the best foreign film language in the year it came out. Um, This did not get the same reviews. No, and I actually kind of wonder, like you talk about Last House on the Left being like a descendant of The Virgin Spring, but that is definitely a movie that I think of more as like an exploitation film, which I think kind of ramped up, especially towards like the 70s and the late 70s. I think that movie came out before. That was in 73 and this is 78, I think. Right. So I kind of feel like the vibe may have changed with how people were viewing rape revenge movies as going from like being empowering to being like just there for shock appeal. Yeah. Which I think is the way that people really interpreted I Spit on Your Grave when it came out. Like, I don't think anyone went into this being like, this is going to be a statement about women empowerment. I think it was like, this is going to be a violent movie where you see a woman sexually assaulted a bunch. Yeah, no one wanted to distribute this movie. No. Like, he tried to find a distributor and everyone said no, so he had to distribute this movie himself. Yeah, and like, Roger Ebert's review like I don't really see eye to eye with Roger Ebert on like his reviews, especially of old horror movies, because he tends to be very hard on them. Um... He really fucking hated this movie. And I think that if I hadn't read a lot of the like more modern reviews of this, I probably would have as well. Yeah, but I definitely think that he kind of went into it expecting that. So he referred to this as one of the worst movies he'd ever seen. I think maybe one of the worst movies ever made. And a vile bag of garbage. Um, and I think that the way that he saw this movie really affected that. Because he talks in his review about going in and watching this in like a surprisingly full theater at like 11.20 in the morning. And that the men in the audience were cheering on the rape scenes, which is fucked up. Yeah. I'm not, I mean, there's no, like, that sounds like an incredibly uncomfortable horrible. way to watch that movie. And I think that he thought that that was what they were supposed to be doing, that, like, that is what the movie wanted them to be doing, which I don't really know how you can watch that movie and come away feeling like that. And I think he was horrified by what he saw in the movie, which is fair. I mean, it is a horrifying movie. Like, bad shit happens. Um... But I think that he kind of let the reactions of the people around him really affect the way that he felt about this movie. And I kind of wonder if he had just seen this by himself or with people who had reacted to it in a less awful way, like, would he have liked this more? And I remember reading about how, like, when he was in the theater, there were people laughing and, like, watching. I know you fast forwarded through some of the scenes, but specifically during, like, the sexual assault scene, again, the man acting was so bad and just, like, it looked ridiculous and so fake that, like, I can kind of understand why people laugh. It's the same if you think about Midsommar. Mm -hmm. There's the rape scene. It's, like, questionable as to whether or not it's rape because I know it wasn't written as intended to be rape. Like, if you read the script, it was very clearly supposed to be consensual. Um, But because of the way it was filmed, they cut stuff out. It appears more like rape. Like, people are laughing during that scene in the theaters. At least when I saw it, people were. And I also think there's an uncomfortable thing with that. Exactly. Like, when you feel very uncomfortable, especially in public, laughter can be sort of, like, an automatic reaction to that. So I can understand why people would have laughed both from discomfort and just, like, the acting was not good in that yeah. scene. Like, sorry, but it just wasn't. And I can kind of, yeah, I can definitely see how that all, all of that combined with already being primed to view this kind of movie, especially considering they renamed it from Day of the Woman to the much more grindhouse-sounding I Spit on Your Grave. I can absolutely see how people c- coming into this would have just been, like, done with this kind of movie and, like, another fucking movie about 
sexual violence being played up for titillation and laughter and like just ready and, to burn again, it to I the ground. I haven't seen Last House on the Left, so I really don't know how it's played there, but it sounds yeah. like it's much like, and maybe it's just because of what I'm picturing where again, like I read this description. I was like, this sounds like horrible and it was still horrible, but it wasn't as gritty and bad as I honestly pictured it. You know, imagination's always a thousand times worse. Right. Um, in reading the description for Last House on the Left, like it seems like it would be even worse than this. Like, yeah. I don't know for sure, but like, just the synopsis made it seem pretty bad. Yeah, I can see that. But probably less drawn out. This was, like, really long and drawn out and in your face. It was really drawn out. And it was added to, like, all kinds of, like, censorship lists. It was banned. It was on the, the Video Nasties in the UK, the list of, like, movies that were heavily, heavily censored. Um, and we actually had a whole conversation, Maggie and I did, um, before recording about the idea of censoring this movie. Yeah. And how... You can't. You really can't. And I mean, you can't. You can either not watch it or you can watch it in its entirety. But the idea that if you were to censor some of the rape scenes, then the viewer no longer becomes as sympathetic with the woman and she's just like going on this killing spree and you don't fully understand why, but also you don't ever like, you can't really truly empathize with her because you don't know what she's gone through. Right. But then if you cut out what's happening to the men, not what's happening to her, then that makes it seem like the murder is like worse yeah which like oh man that was a whole thing i started googling is like how do, why is it so much harder to watch a rape scene than it is to watch a murder scene god i don't and the re the understandings and a lot of the the reasons that were given on like reddit for example that i identify with are one is that like rape victims are walking among us like that's true they if someone's murdered like they aren't around like right you don't have to worry about being sensitive to someone who has been murdered because like they're dead right um and two you are much likely and two, you are much more likely to actually experience that while chances are that you're not going to crawl up on the back of a motor of a motorboat and be like disemboweled. Like that's yeah. just very unlikely to happen to you. And so the fact that it's just so far fetched and like fantastical makes it easier to watch while those like rape scenes are so like that could just happen to anyone. Yeah. And I, I also feel like you need, especially like in the scenes against like the assault scenes against her, like for the rest of the movie, the guys are treated like they're shitty guys. Like you can tell because they have all these shitty conversations, but they also do, at least for Matthew and Johnny, humanize them in a manner of speaking. Like you see Johnny with his family, you see Matthew at his job. Um, and I think that it's really important to like for the movie, so much of this movie is about like the horrible things that men are capable of, especially in groups like this. Um, which Carol J. Clover talks a lot about, but like when you remove, the actual horrible things that they have done, you just get to see them being like dudes with their family. And it's like so much easier to gloss over what you like, maybe know that they have done, but you don't really see it. And like yeah. in this, it lets you know that like, okay, he can be that guy who's like with his family or, oh, it can be like the kind of, you know, mentally handicapped guy down at the grocery store who's like nice and brings your groceries around. But like, these men can also be so dangerous and so brutal. And that's something that Carol J. Clover talks about which I think it's writings like this that sort of re-examine um, I Spit on Your Grave that have kind of turned the tide on the way people view it. Yeah. So one of the things that was actually, this was quoted in the uh, Rape Revenge book that I have, but it's from Men, Women, and Chainsaws. And uh, it's about the 20 to 30 minute long like rape scene. Like it's just like back to back to back. It just like is unending. And... Maggie described it to me before I watched it so that way I'd be like prepared 
which I appreciate. Thank you. You got it, girl. Um, and I was like, this sounds horrible. Why would anyone ever do this? And reading this actually really helped me understand. And uh, she said, the only way to account for the spectator's engagement in the revenge drive is to assume his engagement with the rape avenging woman. The center of gravity in these films lies more in the reaction, the revenge, than the act, the rape. But to the extent that the revenge fantasy derives its force from some degree of imaginary participation in the act itself, in victim position, these films are predicated on cross-gender identification of the most extreme corporeal sort. So, so basically, you're locked into that 30-minute long rape scene with her. Not only that, but like she wanted to make sure that men who were watching this identified with the woman and understand what the horrible thing she was going through. Because if she... Glo- or. Because if they'd glossed over it, then you're like, okay, I understand this happens. But being there, like, you are never able to unwatch this scene. Like, this is something that has happened to you just like it happens to her. And she will never be able to unlive that. And it's something where you can understand what she went through. And that helps you identify with her. So that way when she takes her revenge, you're, like, on her side. Yeah. And she actually, she talks about in Men, Women, and Chainsaws about how... um, Rape and revenge are used as like plot devices in a lot of movies. Like and they she talks are. about, it's like, horrible. yeah, she talks about Dirty Harry, um, and one of the Rambo movies. I don't remember which I one. I've never seen Dirty Harry, Rambo, so I don't care. Um, but without the victim really being like the central figure in the movie, um, women in fridges, exactly. Like, it's a uh, so that women in fridges or like fridging is a term that comes. I think it's from a Green Arrow comic book, mm-hmm. where um, in order to make something interesting happen to the Green Arrow, they kill his girlfriend, and she's like dismembered and put into a fridge yeah and it was like especially in the comic industry it was so common to let just like brutally hurt female characters in order to drive plots for male characters yeah and it's i mean this one is actually like putting you like you said putting you in there with her and like she's not just some you know damsel that the main guy needs to sweep in and save it's like she's an actual person who you kind of get to know over the course of this movie and you see what she's gone through and you understand why she's so pissed off about it um and, you know, then by the time the men show up and are talking about how, oh, she coaxed them into doing these awful things. And, oh, you were, you know, and I think that brutality that they show, like, makes it just so obvious how there's no way in hell, she, like, anyone right. would ask And that. you were right there with her. You know she wasn't doing any of that shit. You know she didn't care. Like, she doesn't care about this guy. She's being nice to these guys. But it gives you, like, a different perspective when you hear people saying that in the courtroom. Like, this is what those women are going through. Yeah. This is in... The guy's head. It's it's made up. And also, I like, as she points out um, in this movie, this doesn't work for Johnny at all when he tries to say this stuff. It seems like it is in the moment, but she goes in that moment from being like, I'm going to shoot this guy out here in this field to being like, I'm going to take him home and make him suffer so much worse because he's oh, blaming I love this I didn't even me. think about it like that, but that's I true. didn't either. And then she mentioned it and it's like, I she was going to shoot him and end it right there. I honestly was thinking that it was part of her plan the entire time. That's probably because I'd read the synopsis. Yeah. And I don't know if that's necessarily... It's hard to know what, like, Zarky necessarily thought it was going to be. But, like, that's definitely how it comes across is that she goes from being, like, I'm going to shoot you to being, like, just kidding. I'm going to make you suffer. Yeah. Because you're trying to put this on me. Um, And it also, like, again, she talks a lot about that group dynamic of men. And especially, like, with Johnny... Johnny is clearly the ringleader the entire time, but every single one of them, when she corners them and she has them on their own, every single one of them is like, it wasn't me. It was somebody else. Like Johnny, when she has him cornered is like, oh no, no, it was like Stanley. That guy's a sex maniac. So you have this group of men who individually, none of them might have done this. Although Johnny, it's questionable because he does say that he's killed people before. So like he may also have some crimes under the belt. I honestly think that it was Johnny, but yes. 
Um, but like Matthew would never have done this stuff. No. Um, we don't know the others well enough as to whether or not they would do it. Right. And she talks a lot about how like, really this isn't about, their actions aren't about Jennifer. They're about each other. And all of these other guys, Matthew becomes like the guy that they're comparing themselves against. Like he is the guy who can't perform. Like he's the guy, he's the virgin. He's the guy you don't want to be like. So Matthew has to prove himself, but we also all have to prove that we're not like Matthew. So each one of them also gets involved and like steps up the violence against her to sort of like prove themselves to Johnny. Each one of the assaults is worse than the next. Right. Except for Matthew's, which is pretty similar to the first one. Yeah. And so like they're... They're using her as this medium by which to sort of prove their masculinity to each other in this really brutal, fucked up, horrible way. And then the second that the responsibility turns back on them, they also use that group dynamic to shelter themselves from blame. And say, no, no, it wasn't my idea. I wouldn't have done that. I would never have done something like that to you. And I'm so so sorry. Yeah, it's really, really interesting. She has, like, I think a whole chapter on this. It's definitely worth. I'm gonna let you borrow the book. At some I need point to read it it's at so some point because, like, it is quoted so often in my book, which I don't get to read very often. Luckily, because like, yeah, we have not been doing that many. When Last House on the Left comes up, I'll have some more to say about then. Yeah, um, and there's also a really interesting article uh, by Noah Berlatsky in the Atlantic. Um, it's called "The Best Rape Deterrent Hollywood Has Ever Made," uh, where he talks about how unsexy the rape scenes are yes but also i don't know if any rape scene is ever sexy right well but some are shot in a way that sort of brings not that it makes it sexy but there are some that sort of eroticize it and i actually think the fact that they chose to do this in the middle of the day like one of the scenes is like against a rock like they i think did try and make it like they weren't trying to hide everything they were just like showing the brutality yeah and they like he, he, he describes it as the hideous, unbearable 30-minute assault is one of the most disturbing and certainly one of the least erotic sequences in all of films. Like, there is no way you can misinterpret that as being a sex scene. No, it's not no a way. sex scene. And that's not what it is. And he also actually, oh, he might be the one who talks more about how the men are performing for each other. They both kind of discuss it. Berlatsky and Clover both talk about that. Um, and then again, that you get to see, like, you see them do this horrifying shit and then just try to go back to their normal lives. And that's, and like, almost more upsetting. Actually, you're talking about how, like, a non-sexy rape scene versus, like, a sexier one. Like, that, mm-hmm. again, brings up Midsommar, where it's, like, there's right. a scene that you don't really know if it's consensual or not. Like, he's drugged, but he also seems to be actively making the choice. And, like, and in the script, it's supposed to be very consensual. And so like, you just don't know. But, like... It is also shot very differently. It's yeah. not like this. Yeah, there's no great. Sorry, area rape here. scene where um, in Midsommar, it is the woman who would be raping the man in it's that like situation. Kind of like the society raping Soci- the man. Yeah, it's, it's the hard woman. to tell. Like you don't really know what's going on in his head, and if he's like, "Yes, I want to do this," or if he's like, "No, this is weird." But there are all these people here, so I'm gonna have to. Yeah, yeah. and you just don't really know what's going on. It's it's. I mean, this is a whole another movie to talk about at some yeah. point in time, but. That movie, like, there's a lot of conversations, like, is it, isn't it? We don't know. And, like, the script says one thing. The movie appears to be something completely different. And, like, as I was just, like, reading a bunch of Reddit threads on it at some point. Yeah. So I was like, I'm curious what people think about this scene. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 just, it's so interesting to me how much, like, the public viewing of this movie has changed so much with time. And actually, one of the women who was a very staunch opponent of the movie when it first came out, Julie Bindel, wrote an article in 2011 called I Was Wrong About I Spit on Your Grave, where she talks about, she compares it to the movie The Accused with Jodie Foster, which is about the trials of both the men who raped a woman at a bar and the trials of the onlookers who cheered them on, which is 
oh, the most stomach-turning thing I can imagine. Um, but she points out that the accused is based off of a true story. But in real life, the onlookers were acquitted. In the movie, they are convicted. Gotcha. And the community celebrated the fact that the men had been acquitted and basically the woman became a pariah. And so the way that Bindel, she still doesn't like necessarily forgive I Spit on Your Grave for its like brutality and the way that it handles it. But she points out that like in this movie, instead of being like, oh, it's a fairy tale about the justice system like coming through and saving a woman, it's not that. And I think that kind of goes back to what Zarki originally thought about when he was making well, this movie. because he literally saw the justice system exactly. fail a woman and he was like, okay, so what can she do herself? Right, and so that's kind of something that Julie Vindell points out, that like, to make a movie about like, a victim getting justice through the justice system is like, almost... That is a fairy tale. Yeah, that's kind of a I mean, fairy tale. Especially because like, you actually, I've seen reviews of this movie talk about how like, oh yeah, like no one would ever convict this woman for killing the people. Uh, right. For, but the problem is that like, there was a woman who killed a man who... Actually, this happened multiple times where yeah. a woman has killed a man who has raped her, who has, like, purchased her as a part of sexual trafficking. Yeah. And then she goes to jail right. for there was just defending the woman herself. Was, she was finally released, but she but had been, she was arrested only, when she was a 15-year-old girl. She's not the only one that's happened to, Centoya Brown. Yeah. Uh, she's the most famous But there's so there's many other, other people that had the same exact situation, and they went to jail. And so, like, you're like, oh, no one would ever, like, blame this woman. But the thing is that people do. Right. But I, I like, Bindel kind of points out that, like, what men should actually be afraid of, as much as they're afraid of getting caught, which is, like, not, I mean, like, now we're seeing more actual punishment, but, kind know, of, kind of. But what men actually need to fear is a woman who is uh, being pushed too far, as she puts it, and deciding enough is enough. Which is like, yeah, you know what? You should be. Those are the consequences of doing that to somebody. Honestly, yeah, they should be. They should you be. Should, you should have to fucking deal with that shit. And, yeah, I don't know. I think it's interesting that people are kind of coming around to what he actually intended about this movie and where he saw it coming from. Yeah, I just think it's difficult. Like, it is a very difficult movie to watch. And if I hadn't read a lot of the, like, scholarly yeah. books, articles, like, the thought pieces on it, I probably would have also really hated it. And yeah. now it's like, I mean, again, I have I will never watch this movie. No, I, it's not, like, a favorite or anything like that. I, I don't want to see I it again. I think the world is probably better from this movie existing than it is from it not existing. Sure, I can see that. But that doesn't mean I have to... I didn't enjoy it as a movie, but no. I appreciate why it exists. I think what it stands for is good. I think it's hit and miss in some of the things it meant to accomplish. But overall... Yeah. Happy it was made. And there is a remake, if you would like to watch that. Oh, I've heard... Okay. Here it's not as good. Actually, I I'm love just, as... like, Googling what people think of movies. And yeah. this one had a whole... There's a whole Reddit thread about how they hate the new movie poster and it linked to a blog post and I don't remember the name of this blog or anything like that but it was all about how the new movie like active the new movie poster actively like sexualizes the woman and she's supposed to be like have dirty you seen and the bloody. original one well it's the same poster yeah but they like much more try to like accentuate how sexy the woman is mm, in the second yeah. one where it's like they try and make her look really sexy and like make you want her rather than just making it look like a gritty woman who's been pushed fun fact about the original poster apparently that's Demi Moore Oh, I did read that. Yes. yes. Which is interesting. Um, but yeah, like they tried to capture the same but make it sexier. And like the, the first one wasn't supposed to be sexy. No. And it's not. Then they, they just got it completely wrong. Yeah. Even though it is basically the same thing, just like some of the photography uh, and like filter, like not filters, but like some of the editing on it was yeah. just like not the best. Because look at the difference. So this one's like, okay, there's a woman, she has yeah. a knife. 
whatever. And then this one's like, oh god, that's like her whole booty. It's like her entire ass is showing. Yeah. Like, look at all of that. You have yeah. like her face turned to the side and like the hair coming down. Well, like here, it's like she looks like she's out for revenge, and like you can see the scratches and stuff on her. She looks like a dirty lady. Like she looks yeah. like a woman who like is sexy who's then going to go kill people. That's like the yeah. difference. I get that for sure. Sorry. Also, honestly, like the first one was marketed like a grindhouse type film which wasn't his actual intention so like having the advantage of time and distance and still being like we're gonna do it the same way it's like well he's also i guess he was very involved in that and then there were sequels to that movie in 2013 and 2015 and then as we mentioned earlier there was a sequel to the original movie in 2019 and he mentions that he he felt like if you made the sequel and then made the remake no one would care about the remake there was a reason that he did it in the specific order that he did, but he basically waited until the remakes were out of the way to then remake or to do a sequel to the original. Yeah, that's weird. But to be fair, Halloween did that too. Yeah. And this one actually also does star Camille Keaton as Jennifer. And now she has a daughter and she's written a book about what happened to her. And then the families of the men who raped her kidnap her and her daughter as revenge because they don't believe that the men did that. Which you sort of see... That's actually kind of an interesting story. It's a lot it more is. interesting than like, my understanding is that I spit on your grave too, like, or Deja Vu or whatever the hell. Deja Vu is the 2019 sequel. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then, But then, like, so I don't know if it's the same woman who played Johnny's wife, but Johnny's wife is in it. And you actually see Johnny's wife in this movie being like, my husband's a good man, he wouldn't just leave me. She does like, say that, yeah. So you can tell that, like, it, it kind of primes... It makes a lot of sense, and I understand yeah. how that would happen. Um, but I think it also drives home the fact that, like, society would not, like, the community would never believe this random woman from New York over Johnny, who's the good guy who runs the, the gas station. I mean, it's it's Johnny, you um, know? But the sequel to the remake was just the same thing happening to a different woman. Ugh. Which is kind of like, if you look at the later Halloween, again, it's kind of like Halloween where it's like, there was the first one, which was good. And then it's like, okay, Michael Myers is just stalking new people. Right. It's not as it's interesting. It's not as interesting. And then like you have the 2019 Halloween. Oh, God, it's so good. 2018 Halloween? 2018. And then you have the 2018 Halloween where it's like, okay, this makes sense as a continuation of his story and yeah. of Lori's story. And from how you describe Deja Vu, which I honestly thought was like number four or something like that. Because like when I was Googling what it was, like right. it came up with like, I spent on your grave four. And I was like, how the fuck are there this many movies? Like yeah. the same story doesn't need to be told except like the assaults get like worse and worse and worse. Apparently it gets, it's worse in the second oh, God. one. And like, I'm not going to I'm not surprised it, by that at all. It's just like, trying to be edgy for the sake of being edgy and like i hate, I hate that. that i hate that i hate speaking that. of halloween movies i really hated the rob zombie halloween because they throw in a rape scene just to be edgy and i don't think that that it just makes no it's sense it's bad. so unnecessary yeah. and like ugh, 90 i will say like 90 percent of the time there's a rape scene it's just unnecessary it's like yeah. game of thrones they added three rape scenes that weren't in the book didn't need to be there not at all nope i mean not that the books are not problematic I only read the first one, I and mean, it was, like, fine. Uh, Daenerys' wedding night, regardless of how into it or not into it she was, she was still 12. Oh, was she really 12? She's really young. I didn't realize books. she was so young. She's, like, she might be 14. I think she's it's just, like, super, mentioned in passing. Young. But, like, in the but in the book, she's, like, into it. Yeah. In the, move, in, in she the show. She becomes they, into it. Yeah. Anyway, the point is that, like, yes, both are problematic, but, again, just, like, adding rape because we're like, oh, we're going to try and make it edgy. It's like, that's not... Don't do that. Just do something different. There are different things that you can do. Like, that's something that really bothers me about, like, the Magician series. Mm. And, like, I love that book series so much, but there's, like, a really violent, horrible rape scene in oh, the God. second book that I just was not expecting. I was listening to it on an audiobook, 
on the way to work and I was listening oh, to the God. scene in the parking lot before going to work and I was like what and it, honestly that was that scarred me more than watching this movie did and maybe again it's because like what you see in your imagination yeah I don't also he, I like, also think if you're not expecting it like, that's true it was completely like, out of you nowhere you primed yourself for this movie I'm not going to go into detail what, with what happens in the magicians but like it's just there's so many things where they're just like oh we want something to happen to someone so like have someone get raped or like yeah. going back to comic books you have um Babs Mm-hmm. who is uh, our Barbara Gordon. Yeah. And, Oracle. like, she is shot in the spine because of, like, oh, they're trying to drive her father crazy. And, like, there's an implication of rape happening there, too. And yeah. it's just, like... It's exhausting. Other bad things can happen to women. Just as an FYI. Yeah. Women can have other traumatic experiences that are not sexual assault. That, just like men can. <laughs> and also, like, if you're trying to drive a man's plot, don't just, like, horrifically hurt women. Okay, I'm yeah. getting kind of off topic. Anyway. But um, the point is that this movie... <laughs> The, there's so many movies where just things are like handled badly. This one I feel like handles it well. Yeah. All right. Um, well, that's about that. Um, what are we doing next week? Okay. So we're going to watch a movie that I saw in the least convenient place ever, which is uh, on a plane. Nice. If you're going to watch a movie that you know nothing about other than the title of it, and it's supposed to be kind of fucked up. Don't watch it on a plane. Yeah. But um, <laughs> we're going to watch the movie Mother. We are. Mother. Mother. There's an exclamation point, so you have to say it. I'm really excited about it. I know nothing about it. I don't want to know anything about it. Don't tell me anything about it. So I'm very excited for that. Honestly, uh, I don't know if it counts as a horror or not, just because like, I don't think this movie is any genre. Well, I don't think this movie makes sense. I watched this and I was like, what the fuck did I just see? Wikipedia says it's a horror, so we're saying it's a horror. Oh my God. Like this. Ugh, I can't I, wait. I'm really excited to talk about this one because there are so many different readings of it. Oh, it's gonna and be. just like, I I don't know how to talk about it other than just, it's like an experience and you have to watch it to understand. Amazing. I'm very so excited. Enjoy. So we're going we're gonna to talk about that and we will be back in two weeks with that episode. But anyway, um, enjoy the rest of your week. Take care of yourself. If you're going to watch some horrifying movies, maybe if you're going to watch this movie, then also have like, I don't know, a couple episodes of, Queer Eye queued up to watch after this to make you feel happy about life again. Both cats were sleeping on me the entire time I was watching this movie. So really, I felt pretty protective and safe. Yeah, just, you know, take some time to think about nice things that aren't horrible as well. Or just, like, don't watch this and watch something, like, fun. Yeah. Watch Saw. Anyway. Saw. Can, we, can we do another episode on Saw? Because I really like that movie. Oh, are you excited for the new Saw movie? There's a new Saw movie? Saw Spiral? what with no. chris rock i know nothing about it but i'm into it it looks cool check out the the trailer i'm very excited about it i think we there's some cool horror coming up as always i think the uh 2020 is also going to be a strong decade for horror and i feel great about it all right guys um take care we love you and we will talk to you soon uh, until then drive safe and be good Mwah.